Tonight's reading is Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose strength is their own God. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Good evening again. We start tonight this series on whatever his name is. Nobody knows how to say his name. The secret is to say it confidently. (laughs) What did you say? Habakkuk. Who says Habakkuk? Who says Habakkuk? Who says Habakkuk? Who says H? Nobody knows. Scholars debate it. It's Jewish in origin, and so therefore probably it has an aspirated, it has an aspirated letter in the middle of it. So it's more like Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Probably. But we'll probably call him, I'll probably call him several things. I won't be consistent, so... Depends on my mood, probably. Habakkuk, 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 Hab. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the privilege as people simply to gather together freely. And Lord, you have promised that in, when this happens, when two or three of your disciples gather together, Jesus says he'll be here amongst us. 
So Lord, we welcome your presence and we desire to sense your presence. We want to hear your voice speak to us. So speak to us, Lord, through this message, this portion of your word. Help us to understand it and having understood it, to make an appropriate response to it. We pray this, Lord Jesus, because we understand that this is your will and purpose for us. And we ask your will to be done. We pray in your name. Amen. Habakkuk is an unusual prophet. Most times the prophets have a message from God which they deliver to people. But in this book, it's the prophet has a question to God which he is delivering to him. And it's a conversation between him and God. There certainly is an overflow of the message of God's answer to him as a message for the people. And in chapter 2, at the beginning of it, we didn't read this bit, um, but Habakkuk basically spits the dummy and says, I'm going to go sit on the wall and sit in a watchtower. I'm going to watch and see what God's going to do. And depending on what he does, then I'm going to make a response to that. And then the Lord says, get out of the tower. It's a waste of time. Go down amongst the streets and... Make it plain, write on the walls and write on tablets the message that I'm about to give you so that the people will understand my message. So God is directing him. It's not just between me and you, Habakkuk. It's, I want you to tell the people what this message is. And that's why we have this book in the Bible. Uh, normally the prophets, as I said, address the people. That's about 80-20. That's my guess. And that's all I'm doing, guessing. But here it's about 60-40, Habakkuk addressing God and God responding to him and primarily to him, not to the people. He lived around about six centuries before Jesus, about 600 BC, you know, 20 years either side of that. Israel has just come out of a time historically where the Assyrians, who are a fierce and uh, cruel people, are on the decline. Their power has been waning, and other nations are rising up around them, and particularly this, the, the nation of Babylon is on the ascendancy. And we don't know exactly where um, Habakkuk lives, but the implication is in verse, is it verse 5, he says, I'm doing something in your days, you wouldn't believe it. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians. They are on the ascendancy. And that certainly is in the 620s, the 615s and so on. They've started to expand and push the boundaries and invade countries. They've invaded Nineveh and decimated it and invaded Carchemish and a few other places as well. And so they're on the ascendancy and they, are, they will, in 605, come to Jerusalem and they will decimate it. And they will do so three times. So Habakkuk is just living just before this. He can almost see it coming and he's got some problems. His name, however we say it, means one who clings, one who embraces. It's a wrestling term. You've seen wrestling, how people grab hold of one another and wrestle together. It's a bit like the story of Jacob. Of, uh, this prophet grabs a hold of God and he wrestles him because he wants an answer. I want this issue dealt with. And his issue is a common one. And we have it today. And I've had people ask me this question. I've asked this question. And I wouldn't be surprised if many of you have asked this question. For those of you who are younger, you may not yet have asked the question. Just keep living. You will. It will come to you. The question goes like this. Basically, why do the innocent suffer and the guilty go free? Why do bad things happen in this world? Why? And then, not only is the question why, it's why doesn't God do something about it? Why does God allow this? This doesn't make sense. 
until it becomes very personal for us. You know, it's something bad happens in your life and you pray and you ask God to protect you or to help you or to change it and nothing happens. That's when you face this dilemma that Habakkuk is facing and we all experience it. There's an old philosophical conundrum or question that goes like this. Three things. If God is all-powerful and can do anything he wants, and if God is loving and caring, then how do you explain evil? How do you explain bad things in the world? And the philosophers give the answer. Well, there are bad and evil things in the world. So therefore, either one, God is not all-powerful, he is loving and caring, but he just doesn't have the strength or the ability to be able to do something about it. Or secondly, God is all-powerful. He could do something about it, but he's not loving and caring. He chooses not to. A bit like Allah, the God of um, the Muslims, he would be more in that category. All-powerful, but not merciful, not caring, not loving. And the Bible teaches us, no, the truth is that God is all-powerful and God is loving. And so, well, then how come there is evil in the world? Well, there's other dimensions to this question. And it's also to do with we live in a fallen world and also that God has created this world in a certain way, certain systems that we have free will, which leads to certain consequences. Um, but at the end of the day, we do not have a complete and full answer. And when it becomes personal, it becomes difficult. That then we, like Habakkuk, Habakkuk have to hang on. And that's certainly the theme and the emphasis of this book. It's a famous book. There are many famous quotes in it, and some of them are undoubtedly misunderstood. Chapter 1, verse 13, which will come again tonight. He says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Famous verse. Chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Or very famously, this is a song, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not blossom or bud, there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive tree fails, the uh, produce is cut off from the field, though there are no sheep in the stall, uh, no sheep in the pen and the cattle in, no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. But most famously of all, and this gets quoted three times in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 4, the second half of the verse, the, the righteous will live by faith. Gets quoted, as I said, over and over. Famous for those. Well, how does the book outline? Very simply, in three parts. The first two parts are in chapter 1 and 2, in which there are two complaints. He has an issue, and we'll come to those tonight. Firstly, he, he complains not about God, but it's borderline. He complains to God. And he says, God, how come you're not doing stuff? How come you allow this to happen? You know, why do the bad get away with it and good people, the innocent, suffer? How come you're not doing something? To which God answers him, I am doing something. And then he's got a second question, and the answer shocks him. It's then, God, how can you use bad people like the Babylonians, an evil nation, how can you use evil people to punish bad people who are not as bad as them? God's answer is, I'm the Lord of the nations. I have a purpose that you don't understand. At the end of the day, the good, the righteous will survive. 
and the wicked, the evil, will be punished. Trust me, I am working my purposes out. That's basically the summary of it. And then the third part is chapter 3, where the prophet is transformed in his attitude and comes to a position of praise. He looks back and he sees that God has been involved in history and he trembles. And he looks ahead and regardless of whatever the future brings, he says, I will trust. Though there is no fruit on the vine and no cattle on the stall, and yet I will trust in the Lord, regardless of what the future brings to me. What led to this transformation, this change in attitude through this journey that he is on? This is like reading his journal, him writing his experiences of his encounter with God. In the first part, chapters 1 and 2, he wrestles with God. In the second part, chapter 3, he's at rest in God. In the first part, he's miserable, he's questioning, he's wondering, he's got issues. In the second part, he's happy, at peace, he's calm, he's content. First part, he is impatient. Here, resting, calm. First part, he's asking for justice. Second part, third, chapter 3, asking for mercy. In the first part, God, you are not present. You're not active in the present. I cannot see you. In the last chapter, God, I see you've been active in the past and I see you're going to be active in the future. I trust you. What led to this transformation? A revelation that God gives him, which comes in chapter 2, which is, we'll mention it tonight, but we'll come to it next week as we basically pick a chapter a week. This is Habakkuk doing something which, I wonder if you do it. You know, we have all different sorts of prayers. We have prayers of intercession, we have prayers of thanks, we have prayers of confession. This is an interrogatory prayer. This is a questioning prayer. It's asking God a question and expecting and waiting to get an answer. Do you do that? If you haven't, I encourage you to do it. Ask God a question. And if you've never done it, then let me encourage you to ask God this question. Lord, is there something not right in my life? And then listen. And see what comes into your mind. See what promptings he puts into your spirit. Is there something not right in my life? And my experience is that he will respond. He will communicate with you through his word in all sorts of ways and means that we've spoken about over time. If you're not sure about that, you want to talk more about that, by all means, come and have a chat after the service. For Habakkuk, he's living in a time when things are getting worse. Verses 2 to 4. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you don't listen? Ever had that experience? And I cry out, Lord, violence and you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why does this have to go on and on? How come you're so patient, tolerant with wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and there is conflict. It's abounding. Even the law is paralysed and justice, the courts, they can't prevail. They've got backlog of cases and it's getting worse. And even the wicked are starting to outnumber and to hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. How long, Lord? How long have I got to put up with this? And I think he's talking primarily about what was going on in his own city, in his own nation in his own community, the people of God. It shouldn't be like this, his attitude is. We're supposed to be neighbourly and loving and a community. We're supposed to be a light to the nations. And it's not happening. The law is paralysed. The courts are overworked. 
The system is coming apart at the seams, just like for us. We watch it on our TV screens every day. We have reports of violence and injustice and cruelty. Lord, what are you going to do about it? What will you do about the drug lords? What will you do about those who are involved in violence? What will you do about those who are committing crimes intentionally? They plot and plan. What do you do about the gangs? What will you do about those who rape and murder? How can you wait so patiently? That's his dilemma. That's his question. And then God is going to give him an answer. C.S. Lewis is one of my favourite authors and he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. It's a very small book. And in the book he outlines his feelings, his experience, his journey of when something terrible happened in his life and he describes it movingly that you can identify with because this is what it feels like. He uh, was a single man most of his life. He got married very late in life. I think he was late 50s. And the lady that he married, he was only married for two years, she had got cancer and died very painfully. And Lewis describes the grief that he felt at that time. He said, at one time, my experience of God was like a large house with windows and lights and the front door was open. And it was like I was coming into God's house, God's presence, and it was like it was welcoming and God was present and accessible and was close and then this tragedy happened in my life. And he says, why is it that when we need God the most, he seems least present? He seems distant. Why is that? And maybe you haven't had that experience, but many, many people have. And Lewis described it as, it's like going back to the house and there's now shutters on the windows and the curtains inside have been drawn and the front door is shut, slam shut. And as you approach the door, to come into God's presence. All you hear is the sound of a bolt on the inside locking and the sound of steps walking away, followed by silence. This sense of abandonment, a sense of, Lord, where are you? How can you let this happen? Well, that's Habakkuk's experience at this time. He cries out violence in his city. And we can see violence, not only in our city, but in our world and maybe even in our own lives. God answers him, and the answer is disturbing. It's shocking. It worries Habakkuk more than the question did. God's answer is, verse 5, look at the nations and watch. Take note and be utterly amazed, for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. If I told you what I'm doing, you would not accept it. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who will sweep across the whole earth to seize the dwelling places, not their own. It's interesting, God does not correct Habakkuk in his observation of life, of what's going on. Violence is increasing. God seems to be inactive. God says, basically, yep, that's exactly how it seems. That's not how it is, but that's how it seems. The reality is, Habakkuk, I am not inactive. I haven't lost control. Indeed, I've already put events in motion, but the cure will seem worse than the disease. The solution is so terrifying, and will be to you, that you would almost wish that you hadn't asked the question. 
God was at work in the world and he is today and he is in your life and around your life and God works deliberately just like a master tradesman who measures twice and cuts once who puts things together quite carefully and quite deliberately God is at work he's involved in in the details of life God is working completely in all situations and circumstances and he is constantly at work nothing catches him by surprise God's response to Habakkuk is open your eyes a little bit wider try to observe what I am doing you're in for a surprise or indeed for a shock it will happen in your lifetime this issue of violence in your society will be addressed and I haven't told you yet how I'm going to do it because if I did you wouldn't believe it it's a bit like when Jesus with his disciples instructed them of what was going to happen to him he said to them in Matthew 16 I'm going up to Jerusalem they're going to reject me they're going to beat me they're going to crucify me and on the third day I'll rise again from the dead Peter's response grabs Jesus by the arm takes him aside and says Lord this will never happen to you he didn't understand he didn't understand what God was doing and God's purpose is being worked out Peter's response is often what our response would be if God told us says to us here um, even if I told you verse 5 you would not believe there's a principle there faith is not built on explanations faith is built on trust faith is built on promises faith is built on what God has revealed about himself and his divine plan that in the end there will be justice in the end evil will be removed in the end sin will be gone in the end and God between now and then we have to hang on like Habakkuk we have to embrace him and hang on even when life circumstances around us are falling apart I would have told you Habakkuk but you wouldn't believe it in fact I've already started and you missed it I've seen the evil I am raising up the Babylonians I am the Lord of the nations I'm the Lord of the multinationals I'm the Lord of the king the drug lords I'm the, the Lord of the gangs I'm the Lord of the people who are opposed to you I am Lord and because I'm raising them up doesn't mean I approve of them it means I am going to use them to achieve my purposes that's primarily what God says through Habakkuk so our question begins to receive some sort of an answer Lord I don't like what's happening in my life I'm not happy with these circumstances but I trust you I trust that you are in control I trust that you are working things out and that you're wanting to do something in my life as well as around the circumstances of my life it doesn't happen by chance you are raising them up this becomes a bit controversial but it's God who certainly let me say it this way allowed communism to arise who allowed the teaching of evolution to arise who allows the religious belief of Islam to arise who allows secularism modernity to arise things that oppose us things that have a counter worldview God raises them up either deliberately intentionally or certainly he allows it for his own sovereign purposes to test us to correct us to bring glory to himself but ultimately to achieve his purpose he is the Lord of the nations and he says in very descriptive he understands exactly what's going on he says to Habakkuk I'm raising up these Babylonians and they are ruthless and impetuous they're feared and dreaded 
and they were a very ruthless, cruel people. They were swift, verse 8. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Wolves at dusk are wolves that are very hungry. So hungry, in fact, they'll even cross boundaries. They'll come into the villages looking. Wolves at dusk on the hunt, on the prowl. That's what they're like, the Babylonians. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping down to devour, like a desert wind blowing in. It's relentless and overpowering. God's going to use them. God's raising them up. Even in verse 11, they have complete self-centeredness. They've rejected God. They're not involved with God. They think they've done this themselves. Their own strength is their God. And Habakkuk says, how come? How does this work? What are you doing? And it'd be like God saying to us that he's raising up, well, you pick whoever, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, pick the evil in person you think about or comes to your mind. God says, I'm raising them up and I'm going to use them to deal with sin in your life. And it's a bit like, how does this work? And then Habakkuk goes to God with a second complaint because the answer is so shocking. He says to him in verse 13, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil, so how can you tolerate that? But Habakkuk has got it wrong. That's his perspective. He thinks God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. But the reality is God is pure and God is holy. But God does look on evil every day. He sees it, he observes it, and he doesn't like it. And one day he will certainly judge it. Habakkuk's protest is, Lord, they're the exact opposite of what you stand for. God's response, you ask me if I'm going to deal with the sin of the people in Jerusalem, and I am. And I'm going to use the circumstances of life to bring correction to them. That's what God does in our life. Where we as God's people allow sin and disobedience to be part of our life and think we're getting away with it, then God will orchestrate the circumstances around us to bring correction. He'll use non-Christians to bring discipline into our life. He is the sovereign Lord. Habakkuk's complaint, Lord, they're worse than we are. In fact... It's the Babylonians who introduced the very first nation to use what is called a scorched earth policy. That when they invaded, they destroyed everything. They cut down trees, they killed animals, they killed people. They left nothing living. They were a violent people. This is the Nebuchadnezzar of the book of Daniel. If you read the first few chapters of Daniel, you'll understand this is the nation that's coming to invade. And Habakkuk describes him. What he says at the end in chapter 3, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and the olive tree, the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pens, and there's no cattle in the soils, that'll be the result when the Babylonians come. That's coming. He, but he says, Even when they come, and even when they do that, verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will be joyful in God my Saviour. God, you're in this disaster. Somehow you're working your purposes out. Habakkuk's question, how can you use them? And at the end, he basically spits the dummy. Chapter 2, which we didn't read, he says, he's poured out his complaint to God, his questions of God and his criticisms of the Babylonians and he says in chapter 2 verse 1 I'm going to stand at my watch 
I'm going to station myself on the ram. I'm going to go up and sit in the tower on the walls of Jerusalem. I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to see what God does. If God's really going to do this, then I'm going to say something about it. That's what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. The Lord says to him, and just in the beginning, and we'll come back to this next week, the Lord says to him, get out of the tower and go down to the streets and tell the people what I've told you. Get on. I've given you a revelation. I've told you part of the answer. And what I want you to do is make it plain for everybody. God gives us a revelation and an insight in order that we can tell others. God doesn't give us revelation and insight into what he's doing in the world just so that we can sit and wait and see and then say, I told you so. But he speaks to us in order that we can be a spokesman to others. And God says, write it down. Write it on tablets. For the revelation awaits a appointed time. It's not now. It's coming. It's coming in your lifetime. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, though it is a while, wait for it. For it will certainly come and will not delay. He is the sovereign God who will work his purposes out and he invites us to trust him. That's the major announcement God gives Habakkuk. God will deal with evil with finality. There will come a time when he will completely overthrow it at the end. And it's interesting, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13 takes Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 and quotes that when he's talking to a group of people about Jesus. What Habakkuk says in chapter 1 verse 5, the Lord says, I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. And Paul says God is doing something in our day. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. Don't be like this people who rejected it, who did not listen. God has sent Jesus, raised him from the dead, who died for sins, raised him from the dead and now sent him. We sent us to reclaim him as Lord of all. He's doing something. Don't reject it. So too for us in our day. That's the same message we are to hear. God is sovereign. He's the Lord of the nations. He is working his purposes out. He will deal with evil. In chapter 2, verse 14, there will come a time when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That time is coming. Chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by faith. That time is coming, but it's by faith, not by sight. And as we place our trust and faith in the promises, the truth, the revelation that God has given us, then that will open for us, like Habakkuk chapter 3, a door that will lead to trust, peace, calm in the midst of the storm. God invites us to trust him. Let me finish by giving you these five quick truths. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached his way through Habakkuk once and he drew these conclusions, similar to some of the things I've said tonight. These are five lessons from history. History, number one, is under God's control. Your life, under God's control. History, number two, is following a divine plan. So is your life. History follows a divine timetable. God's timetable. History will end in the building up of God's kingdom and justice will always be done in the end God will deal with sin and he has in the cross in the person of the Lord Jesus and one day Jesus will return when he will come not to save but to judge and then to remove so we have a response to make because when he comes to judge and to remove he separates and he evaluates and then he condemns those who do not trust and believe and have their lives aligned with him. Habakkuk points us to the Lord Jesus. 
the just will live by faith God is in control God is working his purposes out even though we don't like it we don't like the timing we don't like the circumstances and we don't like how God does it but we're the ones in the wrong we need to humble ourselves submit ourselves before God and say Lord you're in control I don't understand and I may not like it but I'm going to trust you because you are sovereign Lord let me lead you in prayer let's pray Heavenly Father, Sovereign Lord, Ruler of the nations, Watcher over each of our lives, you are fully aware of the evil, of the sin, of the wickedness that goes on in our world, in our society, in our lives, in our church. And you are pure and holy and you will work your purposes out. You will remove sin from us. You've chosen to do that primarily through Jesus and extending forgiveness to us. But you will also work it out through your spirit, bringing discipline through the circumstances of our life. Lord, give us ears to hear. Is there anything not right in our life? Speak to us. Purify us. Cleanse us. Help us to walk with you. And Lord, when we have questions, help us to be frank with you and also submissive because you're not only sovereign, but you are loving and caring. And we trust you because in the end, you will win. Jesus will be glorified. We simply ask that we might cooperate with you in the process. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.